You are now listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Five, six, seven, eight. Holla, boys and girls, it's the BGN. Coming from the Marvel world to the DC friends. All the way from Hollywood to the PCN. She defends everyone from sleazy men. Won't apologize for spitting Shonda Rhimes. The space that we make is never colonized. We're talking games and movies that actors were. Better shake the booties for Black Girl Nerds. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. My name is Jamie and I am your host along with Ryan. We're pleased to present to you this two-part episode featuring actor Crystal Renee Hazlett and TV showrunner, writer, Z Chun. In our first segment, Crystal Renee Hazlett is speaking with Ryan. She's an actor and singer that stars currently in the Will Packer Productions and Universal Pictures feature film called Praise This, which released on Peacock on April 7th. Crystal also stars as Fatima in Tyler Perry's Sisters, that's on BET, and its spinoff, Zatima, on BET+. Zatima is centered around the original show's beloved couple, Zach and Fatima, and formerly known as Zatima. The series premiered in 2022 and returned for a second season on March 16th. Season 6 of Sisters will be on BET on May 31st. In our second segment, we welcome TV showrunner and writer Z Chun. He's the executive producer and showrunner of the Gremlins animated prequel, Gremlins Secret of the Mogwai for Warner Brothers Animation and Amblin Entertainment, which premieres on May 23rd on Max. He also serves as the showrunner and executive producer of the Boots Riley upcoming Amazon Prime show, I'm a Virgo. He also wrote and co-directed an episode of Apple's critically acclaimed BAFTA-nominated anthology show, Little America, based on his mother's life. This segment is hosted by me, yours truly. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this two-part episode of the Black Girl Nerds podcast featuring Crystal Renee Hazlett and Z Chun. Welcome to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan. And whether she's like a first lady or, you know, trying to be an independent businesswoman while keeping the maybe the neighbor from getting to a man, because it's a whole bunch of past stuff that comes up, you know, in this relationship. Hopefully you watch the team, by the way. Hopefully you got that BET Plus subscription because we're going to get down and get into that. But her characters always feel like this warm hug with like a dose of act right. Like if the vibe is not right, she's going to put you in check. But, you know... She does. She is that warm hug. So I love, I love just watching her character unfold, and I can't wait to see what the future holds for her because it's just, it's just so amazing to watch her. It's so entertaining. She's an actor. She's a singer. I'm talking about Crystal Renee Hazlett. How you doing, Crystal? I'm wonderful, Ryan. How are you doing? I'm doing good. You guys can't see her right now, but the makeup and the fashion is always flawless and beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Um, before we start, though, I want to kind of take people back because, you know, you always hear that story. However you get into entertainment, TV, everybody's story is different. But yours mm-hmm. is so cool. Can you tell us, like, just give us a little bit about, you know, starting off as a stylist because you got your BA in communications. You go to I the did. stylist. 
and now you got your own spinoff. So you got to yes. tell us, like, fill us, fill us in between there. Like, give us the intro for people that don't know. Yeah. So um, thank you. You did your research. You said she got to be in Listen, I'm a fan. I ain't playing. I'm about to do this research. I went in on it. <laughs> I know. That's right. I love it. I love it. So, yeah, I majored in communications in college, um, went to work on Capitol Hill for my senator, Lamar Alexander from Tennessee. I did that for two and a half years um, and decided that politics was not for me. It's a dirty game. I was like, I do not. I can't do this every day. This is a lot. And um, I moved to Atlanta and I said I wanted to um, pursue my dreams of music and acting. And I hit the ground running and it was a hard road in the beginning, a very hard road. And it was about 2012. I was my music was doing pretty well. I still hadn't gotten any acting gigs. And I um, a friend of mine said, hey, you should try costuming. We can. We have a PA position, uh, two PA positions that are open at Tyler Perry Studios. And I was like, okay, so I'll try it. So I got the job, worked my way up through costumes, ended up being the costume designer, ended up styling Tyler for five years. And um, in that time of me costuming and just working in the department, I was still actively auditioning, still trying to figure it out. Yeah, the funny thing is I would literally get an audition while we were on set. They were filming, at that time it was, um, if loving you is wrong. I remember we were at the old studio. Oh, we would film okay. those. My agent would send me an audition and I would say, hey guys, at lunch, I've got to run upstairs. I would change, great thing is I worked in the costume department. There is an outfit for every character that I could ever play. So yeah. I would run upstairs, pull whatever work for that character, run downstairs and tape it, run back upstairs, eat lunch real quick, put my clothes back on, go back to work. And um, that was a grind, my grind for about three years. And then in um, 2015, Tyler offered me the job to be the costume designer. And I was like, is this what I want to do? Like, I'm really starting to get, I feel like I'm getting closer, you know? Like, you feel like you're almost there. Things are starting to happen. People are knowing who you are. And I just prayed about it and God said, go this way. So I was like, all right, this is the way we're going. I styled Tyler for five years, did not audition for anything. And from that time until from 2015 all the way to 2019, when Sisters was greenlit, I did not audition for one thing. And as I was reading those scripts, I was like, this is it. I was like, this, this is the moment right here. And I talked to Tyler and he said, I got something small for you. What you do with it is what you do with it. And that something small was Fatima. <laughs> and here we are now, um, Sisters, we're in season five. Um, no, season six now. And um, we are in season two of Zatima. It's crazy. It's yeah, crazy. It's, it's, it just, it's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing too. Like, and you, like you mentioned, God, like if you believe in a higher power, how you could just be positioned at the right place at the right time. Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. and so I, I love yeah. how the universe works like that. It's so crazy because Fatima fits you so well. Because if you go back to Thanks. Sisters, you would have started out thinking, okay, this lady sitting at the front desk, right? She might got a nose and too many things, but she she's nice, you know, she real nice. So it's cool. So we just gonna, you know, we're gonna fly past, all right. But when it starts <laughs> to pick up and you get that connection, right, with Zach, and yes. you're like, oh man, like this is something different. Like, how did yeah. you feel? Like, did you know when you got the role of Zati uh, Zatima. I'm about to put the whole name show in there. When you got the role of Fatima, did you know that you were going to get the spinoff of Zatima? Like, did you know that was in the cards? Or how did that kind of play out for you? I had no idea. And honestly, 
it wasn't until we saw how the audience took to Zach and Fatima that we were like, oh, this is something special. And I remember we we got the scripts. It was COVID happened. We had just gotten the scripts. And I was I got the call. I was like, we're going to make you a sister. You're going to be a series regular this season. I'm like, oh, my goodness. I just fell off the couch. I was just so excited. And um, then COVID hit and production got pushed. So I remember reading the scripts. I'm like, oh, I was like, he put me with Zach. I was like, that's interesting. Still didn't have the vision to see where this was going, okay? <laughs> and I um, I remember I was just getting really into acting for real, for real. Like I had been pursuing it, but this is my first real gig. And I called Devon and I said, hey, I was like, do you think we could like rehearse? And he was like, absolutely. I was kind of scared to call him because he's like Deval Ellis, you know, everybody knows yeah. who he is. I was like, do you, do you mind if we rehearse? He's like, sure. So we ran it and ran it and ran it. And uh, we built the chemistry. We built the characters out, how we wanted the audience to perceive it. And season two, everybody was like, oh my goodness, we love them together. And Tyler was, we were in between scenes, sitting off a team as bed, running lines for the next scene because we move really fast. So we're always like prepared for the next scene. And Tyler walks in and looks at both of us and goes, I like this. And mm-hmm. Deval and I both go, what does that mean? And, and Deval was like, see, we got to get our own show. He said, I feel it. I feel it. I feel it. I was like, what? And within a year, there was little whispers around set. And um, the production calendar had come out for like the next few months. And it was Zatima on the production calendar. And all you hear was, Zatima's coming. Zatima, Zatima, Zatima. And I was like, well, what are y'all talking about? And they were like, y'all show got greenlit. We were like, oh, it was crazy. Yeah, it was know, crazy. Speaking of the Ellis, shout out to him because I just want to know if he's walking down the street and they like, Zach, why are you doing this? Because it's like the 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 route that the characters or that Zach takes, it is so funny. Mm-hmm. And to get somebody like you, Fatima, to kind of match his his like crazy to mm-hmm. a certain level to be able to put him in check. Cause you're like, okay, what woman is gonna end up with Zach? That's going to like, you know, we can fend off some of this stuff in the past, keep them straight, mm-hmm. but you know, keep That's it going. Good. So I'm like, mm-hmm. how, like, how do you guys keep straight faces in these scenes sometimes? Because I can't believe the stuff that has to go on. Like just one of my favorite moments. Listen. I think it was it like beginning of season one, you brought it or no two, maybe two Deja, any of those scenes <laughs> I'm falling out off the couch. It is so funny. Listen, Ryan, I'm telling you, I get in the yeah. most trouble when I have to do scenes with, with um, Deja. I'm jazz. I was trying to think of Jazzy. Yeah. Listen, when she turns into Deja, honey, it is so funny. Like, oh she, the, way, like her, the way she walks, the way she mm-hmm. talks, it is hysterical. And so I was like, Crystal, come on, focus. I'm like, I'm trying, but this girl is so it's great. It's so great. I like drive past the car by yep, yep. the and I drive by mm. doing the Snoop Dogg drive by. Like that was hard to keep a straight face. Like as soon as I got past, I was like, <laughs> so good. Is, it's so good. So good. Yeah. Even with Deval, there's moments where we're just mm. like, I just can't help it. Our bloopers real. I'm sure it's super funny. I would love to see it. Oh, I got to watch that because it is no way yeah, like I, 
it's no way that you guys finish these scenes on time. I'm like, cause I have to be dying. Cause he'll like, he'll take the purse and he's got the purse on the arm and he's like, but what? No, go in the house, listen to what I'm saying. And I'm like, what is happening right now? Like it's a whole 30 minute thing. And I'm like, they can't keep straight faces on this set. You cannot listen. Oh, it's so, we have so much fun on the on team of the last like our our cast is so amazing the crew is amazing um we all have fun together like the cameramen are laughing like every it's like a big party we mm -hmm. have so much fun and deval and i went into that we were like crystal we both said it to each other we're like we want this set when people come to work that we want them to be excited to come we want the cast to be excited to work with us we want the crew to be like let's go we ready and um at the end of season one everyone was like this was so much fun and that's all we wanted we wanted people to because we're making listen we're we're actors we're making television like we are like living out our dreams and sometimes it can be such a draining job because we're working such long hours mm, but we yeah. wanted people to come in and leave and be like this was fun yeah and so yeah. That, that's exactly the vibe that we give yeah you want to have fun doing what you like it's not worth it if you're not having fun doing what you're doing right mm, it's not mm -mm, no but like, you know, on a serious tip though, when we talk about relationships, what I think is so yeah. cool about Zatima is that they're really making a point to say, if you love somebody, you can push through with them, right? Like you could go through anything, like even the moments where it's like, okay, you got the mom, the baby mama drama, by the way, we got to talk about this scene, right? This was the funniest. It was like, it was like low key, like you listen to this and, and take note of this because you can move past this in your relationship. You don't have to end a relationship. But the baby mama, y'all, comes over the house. She got the baby with her. And Fatima's like, oh, yes, hey, honey, I'm the baby. And she takes the baby to the back. And I'm not paying attention to anything. Cause you hear like you hear, I can't remember the actress's name. She did a phenomenal job too. But you hear yes. the the actress that's playing the baby mama just going off. She's like, no, mm -hmm. you know this is your kid. And da, 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 da. And you don't pay attention to anything that Fatima's doing. Come back in the scene, <laughs> right? And they're both just standing there. You know, Zach is pissed because he's like, why did you run her away? Y'all, she did a paternity swab on this baby while she was in the back to try to check out if that was the dad. I was like, can everybody do their paternity test like this and keep down all the drama? I was like, that Listen. is the blueprint. It's the blueprint. <laughs> Listen, that was so funny. I had him stuck in my sleeve. I was like, I got it. Come on, let's get it done. He was like, boy, you, that's when we did our little three slab because he was like, you really be on one. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it was so good though. But I just love it because it's it's making we're laughing about it. We're ha we're talking about it right, and it kind of a you know, it has a little joke feel to it. But it's serious mm -hmm. when you're thinking about relationships, right? And it's like how much does the how much does the current relationship take? How much mm -hmm. can this woman take from this relationship before she's like, okay, enough is enough? But mm -hmm. you guys talk it out. And I'm curious to know, like, what's, have you been receiving feedback in regards to that? And, and, you know, what are you hoping people take away from, you know, as far as like, just have a conversation with your partner, like work on the communication mm -hmm. can help, right? Ooh. Yes, we both, we both get um, people, they stop us all the time telling us how our characters have, and our the character relationship has helped them through their real relationships. And communication is so big, you know, and I, sometimes I read the scripts. I'm like, oh, would I deal with it? Would Crystal deal with the things that Fatima's dealing with? And I think the thing is, when you have a man like Zach who communicates, who's honest, 
uh, who includes you in everything. You have a security where you know, like, okay, we're in this together. Right. I'm not having to deal with all this past drama that he's bringing into our relationship by myself. You know, and I think that's the key when it comes to relationships because everybody has a past. Not everybody has baby mama drama, but right. it's certain things or even just issues that will come up naturally in a relationship that mm-hmm. you're going to have to deal with and you have to communicate it. And I think that friendship, that foundation of friendship is so key because a lot of people, they kind of bypass that and go straight into sex and living life that they don't even really get to know the person where it's like, wait, I really like this person. Like I was telling one of my friends, I was like, you know, the biggest thing in relationships, you have to be that person's friend because the way I would react, yep. say for instance, me and you are like real tight and mm-hmm. the stuff that you would tell me, I'm not going to judge it. We kind of change the way we look at our partner versus yep. how we look at our friends. Mm-hmm. If we came with that same support and that same understanding that we understand our friends with, I feel like relationships would be a lot easier. And I think that's something that Zach and Fatima bring into the relationship that really, really helps them. Yeah, if y'all not watching the team of season one or two, you better hear him get this BT Plus subscription because it's so, like the episodes just fly because it's so fun. It's so much relationship stuff to talk about. It makes you feel like, you know, you and your homegirls are not the only one going through it. Somebody else on screen is sticking it out. You know, if you got that person that's like, why are you with this man, girl? I know it's love, but it ain't that much love. Listen, Angela. if the team can work it out, you know what I mean? If they can work it out, you can work Listen, it out. You, you can figure too. it out. Yes, you can too. So y'all go ahead and check that out. Listen, I got to change gears for a little bit because we got to talk about this future debut, which I can't even believe is your first movie that you did because it was so cool to see you in this role, like the hair change and the fashion change. And I was like, okay. So Natalie, first lady in Praise This, I want to give them a little taste because I still want them to go out, stream this, you guys, on Peacock, you know, get it up there because we got to keep these all black casts and all these different and these different genres going up. But talk about that experience because you just look like you were having fun. Like you were just floating through the movie on this. How was that? Listen, we had a great time. You know, um, first of all, shout out to Will Packer, Shayla Cowan from Will Packer Productions, um, Tina Gordon, who directed it, who's a Mm, great friend of mine. So excited to get to work with her. But the phenomenal cast. You know, I played Mac Wild's wife, um, starred Chloe Bailey. She was phenomenal in the movie. Um, Angelica, she just stole my little heart. She she was so good. <laughs> she was my favorite. Um, but the the cast all together, Quavo, Drewski, it was so many, Jacqueline Carr, mm-hmm. um, so many powerhouses in the movie. But to get to, I was raised in a church. So to get Ooh, to play a yeah. first lady, yeah. I start, my mom put me in the choir at age five. Um, we would do sing in the choir and we would have different Sundays where we would sing and I was the lead singer on some Sundays. So to see, um, my, I guess art imitate life in a sense, yeah. to see that happen really, really cool. And to get to showcase my talents and singing. Cause a lot of people didn't know I could sing. They were like, is she lip singing? I was like, no, that's really me. <laughs> so, um, to get to showcase that and to, um, get to just show a different side of my acting because a different range because a lot of people see me as Fatima Mm -hmm. the ride or die the hardcore girl and to come into a softer light and but still have that little edge you know she's the first lady that people can relate to the first lady that doesn't judge people because she sees herself like my character saw a lot of herself in Chloe or Sam's character Mm -hmm. who plays Sam in the movie 
And I was able to relate to her and she was able to understand what I was saying because she could relate to me. So um, I love it. I'm not too far removed from the world in my character, but I'm definitely found, found my foundation is in the church and rooted in the church, but um, not far enough for people to feel like they can't relate to me. And I think that's the beautiful thing about the movie is it shows that the church and the world aren't so far apart. And we open it up for everyone, you know, so people that who may not have a relationship with God, they can come be like, oh, okay, maybe I, this, I could do this, yeah. you know, we made it, we made it cool, you know, and um, uh-huh. it's funny because I told um, Tammy Franklin, Kirk Franklin's wife, I said, Kirk was the reason why I really found my own relationship with Christ because he made, he did it in a way that I could understand it and relate to it where I didn't have to sit there, dear father, God, thank you. You know, it, was, it didn't exactly, have to be so right. Routine. Yeah. It was like, like, yo, Jesus, listen, mm-hmm. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> you know, right. I can exactly. Talk to, yeah. It didn't have to be so perfect and eloquently spoken. And mm-hmm. um, I think that's the way that praise this bridges the gap for people who are trying to find that walk. Yeah, my favorite moment was seeing um, you and Chloe kind of sit down or Natalie and Sam kind of sit down because she was just at the end. And it was like to have somebody like you're saying, when you have these different generations that kind of get to see this film, to have somebody say, look, you, this is what you think church is and what God is, but you can make it your own. Like you don't have to, it doesn't have to be like this. You don't have to go through the struggle by yourself. Have. And I just no. love, yeah. And I just love the way, and you're right about the song now. You're right about the music. Because you put me on notice and I think you put everybody on notice because we got to talk about nothing else. I was <laughs> sitting there like, I was like, wait, wait, wait a minute, let me go back a little bit here. Because you, you ha- it's kind of like a sneak attack when you appeared on the stage at the bar. And yeah. I was just like, what's that? and then I went back and listened to this song. You guys go listen to nothing else. It's on Spotify. It's on the Praise This soundtrack. Go check it out. But what did that song feel like recording that, be having that original song? Where did that come from for you? Listen, um, that was the first time I had been in the studio in probably since 2013, 14. Wow. Yeah. That was like the first time I'd been in the studio in years. And to have, this is the crazy part, Harvey Mason Jr. did my my studio session and he is the president of the Academy. Like, of the Grammys I'm like wait what so I'm walking in this studio it's a gorgeous space and I walk in and Harvey's like hey I'm like hello (laughs) because he is like it's Harvey like what and for him to love my voice you know I'm not one of those singers that like do all the runs and everything I just that's just not my thing and I wish I could do it um and I'm trying to work on that so I can learn more things that about my voice. But he was like, I just love your voice. I would love to work with you again. I'm like, me? <laughs> and just to like, everybody was like, anything you want to do, just let us know. Like, you got it. You have something here. And I'm like, wow, this is crazy. So just that, just walking in that studio, getting, putting the headphones on, turn my microphone up, my little Jay-Z moment, turn me up, turn me. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. it. It was cool. It was really cool. Yeah. I and you know what? I saw you singing that national anthem too at the Atlanta Hawks. Day. I was like, okay, you keep it seeing that. If this is the start, I can't wait to see where this goes. If this is the start of you singing, Aww. I can't wait. Everybody's like, where's the album? When is it coming? And yes. it's so funny because the national anthem is one of the hardest songs to sing. Uh, and it, my, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's so hard. Uh-huh. My uh 
vocal coach, we had had this rendition, we got it all down. And I get an email from the coordinator from the Hawks saying, hey, by the way, it needs to be in 90 seconds. We were like, 90 seconds? Yeah. So I got to speed through this thing. I was like, I was trying to give y'all Whitney. <laughs> what am I supposed to do now? Like, I was so confused. <laughs> I was like, I wanted to give to Whitney Houston. So we figured it out. I had like two days to figure it out. And oh when I went to sound, I was like, babe, I was like, I wasn't hitting the notes that I wanted to hit because the Boston team was, they were doing their shoot around. All I'm concerned about is if a ball's about to hit me on the head and trying to stay under 90 seconds. Jesus. Oh it my was gosh. so much going on. But I got, I got on the floor. I got back in the car. for. We had two hours between the game. I got back in the car and I just started running it. I was like, I've got to hit every note that I mm. went over. I got on that floor and I hit every one of them. I was like, Whew. I was like, I need a drink. <laughs> I yeah, I would need a couple of drinks. I mean, I don't even hit a note and I wouldn't need a drink. Like I was just like, what? I was like, wow. If this is this is a start of her doing this. Yeah, we can't wait for this album. Like, I Thank hope you come you. back and talk with us about it because I cannot wait. I think that that'll be so cool to be able to see you kind of get to dive yeah. into that more. Um, as we kind of wrap here though, I gotta go back to like just the makeup and the style and everything. Because, you know, with Black women, it's so important, right, to have that representation somewhere. We can see there's certain products for us. You know, some people that notice certain things about our skin tone, hair, everything, right? So yes. I'm curious for you, where did the passion for beauty, for fashion, for makeup, all of that come from? You know what? Um, I would have to say my mom and my aunt when it comes to fashion, because every Sunday my aunt used to take me shopping after church. That was our thing. We would go shopping. And then my mother, we would always shop like we would every season, like we would get new clothes for our wardrobe. And like that was the thing that she did for us. But I would watch television. It was just something in me. Every time we go to the grocery store, I wanted the magazines and I would flip through and be like, Mom, Aaliyah's wearing these Tommy Hilfiger pants. Can we go to Memphis and get these? Like, mm -hmm. I wanted food, but I wanted like, I was just like, a re I was into the latest fashion trends. And that was at a very young age. And where I'm from, we didn't even have a shopping mall. Ooh, so this yeah. wasn't something that I was just seeing when I would walk out the house and go to the mall. Like we had to travel two hours, well, mm. 45 minutes to get to a nice mall. And then two hours to get to Memphis to a really nice mall. Mm -hmm, <laughs> so mm -hmm. it was television magazines. And then when I turned, I was in junior high school and my mom put me in my first pageant. And that's when I got into makeup. And that's when I was just like, I love this. Cause we had to do it. It was like Broadway. We had to do our own makeup when we went to um, when we were in pageants. And it was one of those things where I just fell in love with it. Mm. And to this day, I still do my own makeup. I am I have a makeup artist too that two makeup artists that I work with, or actually a few. I got I got a few makeup artists that I work with. But oh, um, I love doing my own makeup too. It's just fun. Mm. I feel like I'm such a tomboy. That's the moments where I can tap into my girly side. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's not just with you. I bring this up because it's not just about the roles that you're taking on where you keep it stylish, keeping it cute, but Clinique and Black Tag, you teamed up with in 2023 in February or for February, Queen Me, which yes. I love that, right? Anything you put a Queen Me and you get like these beautiful women of color to like showcase how beautiful they are. Tell me about yes. that. That was so cool to be able to see those videos. Listen, thank you. That was a really dope moment. I had, um, it's something I manifested because my pastor was telling us at the beginning of the year to write things down. And it was literally like within 24 hours that I got a call saying, hey, keep a lookout. Estee Lauder and Clink are calling you. And I'm like, what? Mm -hmm. I was like, I literally just wrote that down last night. Right. <laughs> it was a fast <laughs> turnaround. And we went and did it. And I loved it because, you know, 
a lot of times women, we don't see ourselves in that beauty space. When you go, when you drive up the street, we don't see ourselves on billboards and on those ads. So for Clinique to take the time to be like, hey, we want to highlight women, black women of different shades, you know, because sometimes you may just see a certain shade of women that are highlighted. We want to show you every shape, size, and show you how beautiful these women really are. And they didn't do a lot of airbrushing techniques. We had a black photographer. It was, it was like just blackity black, black, black. It was just an I amazing experience. Yeah. yeah, it was so dope. And it made us, because I'm so used to like, oh, can you tweak that, airbrush that out? Mm -hmm. Oh, I don't really like that. You know, it reminded us that we are beautiful the way that we are, you know, and without that and without all the airbrushing and the face tunes and all the stuff that we use now um, to make us what we feel like, what society has deemed beautiful. They made it like they wanted us to see like, no, this is who you are and that you are gorgeous the way you are. And that was the most beautiful thing about that, about that um campaign and then the other thing I liked about it was that we also got to show that we are the standard you know a lot of times what we yeah. see we may not see ourselves mm -hmm. but what they're trying to emulate is us Ooh. you know what I'm saying yeah yeah mm -hmm. you know um so just to show that and let other young black girls black women who may feel insecure or like dang like am I beautiful it was right. just another affirmation. Yes, you are. You are. So oh, I, I was love so that. Part of that. Yeah, it's so great, you guys. And I just love the message. Like, yes, you are beautiful. And Crystal, mm -hmm. you are beautiful. And this has been a you pleasure to talk to you. <laughs> we got to keep. I hope we do this again because I could literally just keep going. But I'm like, y'all, she, she booked and busy. We just going to have to wrap <laughs> it up right here. So we could just, you know. So y'all go out. Please go check out Praise This. Go check out Zatima. Season one and two are out, y'all. Binge yes. it, watch it. That's what I did. You will not be able to stop at the first episode. So just go ahead and get ready to get your popcorn and binge it. Period. Yes. And Sisters is right back. Sisters will be back May 31st. Hey, there so. you go. Something else for your watch list. Get it ready. Because you know yep. you got to bring the team <laughs> back into that. I love the crossover of these yes. shows. You know it has to come back. So yes. it's going to be fun. Thank yes. you, Crystal. I appreciate Thank it. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to Black Girl Nerds on our podcast today. I have Z Chun here who is doing some amazing things and he is currently the executive producer and showrunner of the Gremlins animated prequel, Gremlins Secret of the Mogwai. And he's also got another project um, called I'm a Virgo, which he's the writer for and uh, he also serves as co-showrunner and executive producer, uh, which is also directed by Boots Riley, who's also a friend of our publication here. Thank you, Z, so much for, for coming on the Black Girl Nerds podcast. I'm really excited to talk to you today. Thank you so much for having me. So I am a child of the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> and I was a big fan and still am of the Gremlins films growing up. How did you get started on this animated series? Well, right before I was brought on, um, uh, Warner Brothers and Amblin were talking about doing a Gremlins animated prequel series um, set in China. And I came in with a take on um, not just like uh, the characters but also like the scope of the project um my pitch was why don't we do it as a big epic 
action adventure that still kind of honors the tone of the original Gremlins movies, you know, something that's funny and weird and scary. And um, yeah, and the idea was to bring all of um, my background as uh, a Chinese American who had been hearing about Chinese spirits and creatures and monsters and weaving them into the fabric of the the Gremlins universe. Um, and that, that's kind of how we got started. I, yeah, I love the theme of this this animated series because it kind of brings a new origin story to you know the how the Mogwais got started and we get some new characters in this series. So how did all of that get formulated? Was part of that your own making? Did you have a team that kind of hashed out the ideas of how we were going to put these new story elements together for the animated series? I mean, one of the the most fun things to me about uh, creating a series is that at every step, you know, more people come on board and refine the idea. They they have their own input, and at every level, it kind of gets plussed. And especially in animation, which takes a long time, and there's so many hands on the animatics and the character design, and just seeing the team come together over these last few years has been really incredible. Um, when I started, it was me and uh, Dan Crawl and our executives um, from Amblin and Warner Brothers. Dan was our supervising producer. So he created some of this beautiful art for our pitch. And then we very quickly brought on Brendan Hay, who was uh, my co-showrunner on the show. And we just kind of developed it from there. I mean, I think for me, I, I, I was very passionate about wanting to tell a Gremlins animated prequel in 1920s China and to be able to introduce Western audiences to the you know, the history that I had grown up hearing about. And not just the history, but like the scary stuff, like the, uh, all the creatures and spirits and monsters that I grew up watching in like 80s Hong Kong Chinese vampire movies and in old Chinese TV shows like Journey to the West. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, it, it, like everything in TV, it's a, it's a real group effort and it's really great to see the team kind of expand. And I'm really excited for everybody to see what we've been working on these last few years. Yeah, I really also love the mystical elements of this animated series and there's magic that's been added as a new component to the Gremlins lore. So is that something that was added as a part of sort of this Asian theme, this Asian mythic universe that you guys wanted to create around uh, the new gremlin secret of the Mogwai? Yeah, I mean, one of the things about the original pitch um, and, and my take on it um, was talking about, so when I was growing up, um, every few summers we would go back to Hong Kong and Singapore to visit family. And there's a theme park there that is just for um, kind of like Chinese superstitions and mysticism. And, you know, instead of like Disneyland where you're interacting with, um, you know, Goofy or Mickey Mouse, uh, you're looking at things like there's a ride where you go through the, like the 12 courts of hell and you're watching people being like horribly tortured and like dismembered and maimed and, even like the playground has like a, 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 you're climbing on like a crab that has like the face of a man. So they're just like really bizarre, interesting, weird, and like somewhat comical uh, tropes that come up again and again in Chinese mythology. And when I watched the original Gremlins movies as a kid, I remember thinking like, okay, I've never seen an American movie in this tone of something that's like scary and funny and weird 
but I kind of recognized that tone from the stories that I grew up hearing about from my parents and the stories I was exposed to when I was uh, in Asia as a kid. Is it easier or harder writing for animation versus live action? Because animation is not your only beat. You've done live action um, as well. So what are the parallels there? Is it, is it easier or harder? You know, I think for me, um, whether it's show running or writing a, a live action show or an animated show, it's still kind of just the same job in that you're really trying to push um, the story forward while also you know, making creative decisions along the way. I will say that, you know, when you're up against it with production in live action, that's really tough just because it's like, you know, there's an emergency every day when you're shooting. Um, there's just so many moving parts. And in animation, sometimes, you know, someone would come to me and be like, oh, well, there's there's a there's a real problem that we have to address. And I was like, all right, let's get right on it. And they're like, oh, no, 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 not now. Like in eight months, we're going we're gonna to come up against it. And so the the timeline for animation, that creative process is just longer. Um, but yeah. the flip side of that, which is nice, is that, you, you know, and we also had, you know, uh, a very, very relaxed schedule for this, which I really appreciated from Warner Brothers and Amblin. They really felt that this needed the time to develop visually and, um it's just nice. You have like a lot of time to work with your um, with your uh, collaborators and to to get things looking the way that you want them to look, as opposed to live action, where on the day if something happens, you just have to shoot. Yeah, you mentioned Amblin Entertainment. It's good that, of course, that they've co-signed on this. I, I figured they <laughs> have to. <laughs> um, and I see that Steven Spielberg's a, an executive producer. And then Joe Dante, who's the director of the original live action Gremlins, is a consulting producer on this animated series. So can you share specifically the type of consulting he did? Sure. Um, so we brought on Joe very early on in the process. Um, we sent him some scripts. I think we had maybe two or three scripts along with some artwork. And we really wanted to get his blessing. It was really important to us that um, he was happy. And he came in, he met with the creative team. He had like incredible stories of um, really about like how annoying the gizmo puppet was to work with and how excited he was that we were working animation because uh, we could just do things that they couldn't like have gizmo walk for example <laughs> and um when we finished the meeting it was really sweet he was like oh, well i'm gonna go take a walk down memory lane and we were working at the warner brothers ranch where there's a fake cul-de-sac where billy peltzer's house from the original gremlins is actually located and then a few weeks later i think we went and pitched spielberg uh the entire series and that was obviously um very nerve-wracking i was i was playing it cool um but uh later on i revealed to the people we were pitching with that uh i had stress eaten seven pieces of popeye's fried chicken in my car in the parking lot <laughs> <laughs> um but the pitch went really good and you know um one of the things that i found most touching was we finished the pitch and spielberg's first question was um has joe seen it and is he happy and I thought that was really amazing that after all these years, it's such a testament to who Spielberg is as a, not just a creator, but the way that he brings up younger talent, um, that even after 40 years, he was most concerned about whether the director of the original movies was happy with what we were doing. 
Oh, that's awesome. Was Steven involved? I mean, you mentioned you pitched to him and how nerve wracking that was, which I completely empathize with the Popeye situation. That is something (laughs) I would definitely be stress eating in a situation where I had to pitch in front of Steven Spielberg. Um, But did he uh, was he involved at all in the the creative process of, of this production? Yeah, I mean, the amazing thing about him is that he really signs off on everything, whether that's like animatics, episodes, um, he really looks at everything and and kind of gives us notes. And he was so positive. And between Spielberg and Joe Dante, you know, we really felt supported. And, you know, I think that when you're tackling something that's a, you know, a, a beloved property and franchise like Gremlins, uh, there's the feeling of like, oh, my God, like, I just want to make sure everyone's happy with it. And the fact that they were so positive really gave not just, you know, me and the writer's room, but a lot of the, um, the creative, the, the creatives on the show uh, confidence that they were moving in the right direction. By the way, the Mogwai or Gizmo spe- specifically is so adorable looking. <laughs> he looks so cute. So I, you know, I, I'm excited for this to come out because you know, there's a generation of kids out there who may not be familiar with Gremlins as we are, you know, us kids from the 80s. Um, and what ways do you hope to see this series inform and engage new audiences? You know, that's a really good question. And it's one that we talked about a lot in the writer's room. Um, we wanted to make sure that this was a, a co-viewing show that everyone in the family can watch together. Um you know, I think animation lasts like 20 years, like things like Pixar movies, where there's really something for everybody when you're watching them and wanted to make sure that this was a really fun, exciting, emotional experience that adults and kids could participate in and teenagers too, like every member of the family. And then, you know, me and my uh, co-showrunner, Brendan Hay, and really everybody on the team, we're all like big gremlins nerds. And so, wanting to make sure that we were creating a show that we felt that we as fans would really love, but also that could bring in new fans. Uh, That is certainly a part of it is that you don't necessarily have to have watched the original Gremlins movies to, um, to watch the show. Um, I mean, obviously we would love it if people did just because those movies are incredible. Um, But really trying to reintroduce gremlins and and our favorite little guy gizmo to a new generation that was something that was definitely talked about a lot in the writer's room i i really hope that this show is successful enough to get a second season and this is my pitch to you (laughs) that maybe (laughs) that in the second season it can parallel similar to gremlins to the new batch because Mm -hmm. that was actually my favorite of the gremlins franchise because of how they curated these personalities yeah gremlins themselves so is that something that you kind of hope to do is to grow it to where we see a little bit more of the gremlins have personalities like we saw in the new batch yeah um so (laughs) the craziest thing about how long animation takes is that um we're almost done with the second season, it turns out. Oh, wow. So we got greenlit <laughs> right after we were done writing the first season, which was kind of atypical. We were very glad that it happened. Um, so we could just keep you know our directors rolling through the second season. Um, I think a lot of the plot details of the second season are under wraps. But yes, 100%. Gremlins 2, 
the different personalities and weirdness in terms of like the the different you know i mean listen we watched the key and piece uh, key and uh, key and peel sketch of gremlins 2 um so many <laughs> times in the writers room like dozens of times and not just in season two, but in season one, we have some really unique uh, evil mogwai that you'll get to see. Mm, awesome. Awesome. So I'm a Virgo. I saw a few episodes of it. It's one of the most quirkiest and unique shows I've seen in quite a while, uh, which is very on brand for Boots Riley, by the way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Um, and as a writer, how do you conceptualize the story? And did you work with Boots throughout the process of this series? Um, so when I came on, Boots had already written the pilot. And I read the pilot. And it was one of my favorite things I'd ever read. Um, you know, when you hear the logline about a 13-foot-tall, 19-year-old Black kid growing up in Oakland, you know, I, I, I was like, okay, I wonder what that's like. And I was really surprised by how emotional I found the pilot script. And I think for Boots, you know, to bring on a co-showrunner for the first season, um, he was looking for a few things. And I just happened to have this weird Venn diagram of things I'd done before. Like uh, it has a, um, I think he wanted a director um, to co-show run with him because the show is so visual. And um, I had also worked in animation and there's animated uh, aspects to the show. And then there's a big superhero component of the show. It's obviously a superhero uh, through the lens of like the Boots Riley, you know, point of view. Um, but I have a comic book company called TKO Presents that, you know, we've worked, we've launched about five years ago and worked with some of the top creators in comics and um, having that experience of being like a real comic book nerd, I think um, that that was, those are kind of the reasons why he brought me on and because of my, um, winning personality <laughs> <laughs> it, I, yeah that's another series that I can't wait for everybody to see because it's it's definitely very interesting and unique and I, I feel like a lot of people on social media are going to be talking about that one um I, I I have to ask you this as someone who's a writer and currently the writer strike is happening I'd love your opinion on it and why the works of writers is so important in this industry I mean, this is now my second writer strike. I was uh, in the writer strike in 2007. I think I had, I was probably like the newest writer. I'd just gotten my WGA card like a couple of weeks before. And it's been really interesting. I mean, time and time again, if you look at the history of what writers have fought for, a lot of it is not just protecting the people who are first starting out. That's what the minimum payments are about. Like, you know, making sure that if you do get a job as a writer, that you can sustain that lifestyle um, or a life rather. And that's kind of what this is about as well. You know, at the end of the day, writers create incredible pieces of artwork and that's not just the in TV and film, like that's everywhere. Um, but at the same time, I think that we want to ensure that the generations of writers that come after us can sustain a life, that it can actually be a career path. And I think that a lot of the stuff that we're fighting for um, in the long term also benefits the studios because when you have writers that are feel not stressed about making a living wage, um, what their next job is, they create better work, in my opinion. Um, I think people wor work their best when they feel 
relaxed and confident and taken care of. And I think that a lot of things we're fighting for, if the studios were looking long-term, you know, I think it benefits not just the writers, but also the art and because the studios profit from the artwork um, that it's really a win for everybody if we can get on the same page. Absolutely. I feel like writers are the unsung heroes of the entertainment industry. We always look at the actors and give them their, their props for their accolades is, and they are very talented in what they do, but without the writing, <laughs> we don't really have much of a show or a movie that has the charisma and the entertainment that we value. Um, so uh, we, we definitely appreciate you guys as writers. Uh, Z, this has been such an interesting, compelling and entertaining discussion. I really appreciate your time. I'm so excited for Gremlin's Secret of the Mogwai and I'm a Virgo. Congratulations on both of these projects, both kind of coming out back <laughs> to back. Um, and I, I think that you'll definitely have a large audience of folks that are going to be talking about it on social media and watching it. And um, congratulations on a season two for Gremlins. I did not know thank about you. that. So, yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me. You know, I've, I've followed you for a long time and I'm a big fan of, of your voice and, and what you guys do at Black Girl Nerds. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate it. The Black Girl Nerds podcast is produced by Jamie Broadnax. The opening theme song to our show is written and performed by Samus. Various instrumentals are performed by Samus, Sky Blue, and Shubzilla. You can find various episodes of the Black Girl Nerds podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Audio Boom, Google Play Music, and Spotify.